Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I am Chase Goodbread, the sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. I'm joined, as I always am, by longtime BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer. Of course, the Talking Tide podcast available to you at Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer to get your podcast. You can also catch us live on YouTube or Facebook and, of course, the Twitter feed is talking underscore tie. That is the handle, and you can get links to all of our podcasts right there. We've got a big Iron Bowl recap for you here tonight on this edition. Also going to talk some Alabama basketball. Of course, the Crimson Tide with a huge Sunday win right on the heels of an Iron Bowl victory over Auburn. Uh, Alabama basketball takes down number one ranks North Carolina in four overtimes We'll get into that one as well. Of course, the Talking Tide podcast brought to you by North River Dental Associates, Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa and DraftKings. More on them a little later in the program. Travis, uh, the Iron Bowl, 49-27, the final score. The Crimson Tide uh, gets it done with an offense that, that bottom line, just got be stopped, 516 yards. Uh, Bryce Young. Uh, with a big-time performance in what is virtually certain to be his last home game for Alabama, 343 yards passing for him. Uh, and uh, Alabama gets it done, again, 49-27, to 27, uh, the final score in a game that, that Alabama actually fell behind 7 nothing early, uh, but took control of the game fairly quickly thereafter. Yeah, an odd game in which you win by 22, but you gave up 318 rushing yards. You don't see that very often, do you? Yeah. Even in today's football. But that was the case. couple of big takeaways there in the first half for Alabama. Really, both of them, neither one of them were forced, I would say. You had the fumble by Jarquez Hunter where he kind of catches his own left tackle and the ball gets knocked loose. DJ Dale jumps on that. And then the semi-controversial muff of the punt by Auburn there. Uh, where Neyland Hibbett, the long snapper, a little iron bowl glory for the old long snapper, jumps on a loose ball there. And Alabama made good on those opportunities, and that's really where you got your separation. Uh, you said it, Bryce, if that was it for him, maybe even for his career in general, a uh, pretty good way to go out with 343 passing yards. And you had explosive plays in the passing game, not involving running backs. You know, you had some depth there with the explosive play production with your wide receivers and even a couple of your tight ends got involved there. Yeah, no doubt. We start in terms of explosive plays with the deep pass to Jermaine Burton that set up an early touchdown for the Crimson Tide. It was a play that uh, Nick Saban actually broke down after the game uh, on video. And uh, it was an option route for Jermaine Burton. Uh, a couple other receivers were, uh, running shorter routes to kind of clear the corners. And the option for Burton was on a safety. Uh, and uh, he chose to break across the safety's face and got loose. And and uh, Bryce Young hit him right on the money for a deep ball. And uh, it's been a pretty strong finish down the stretch here for Jermaine Burton. And, and uh, he ended up three for 87 receiving on the game. But that early deep pass, uh, was a, a quick answer for Alabama after falling down 7 nothing. It really was, and you're right. For both Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks, both those guys had emerged, had emerged over the last four or five games of the season or so, and 
Uh, Brooks with another touchdown catch. He does it again down the Auburn sideline like he did on the Plains a year ago uh, for his touchdown grab. And, uh, you know, good stuff, really, again, from a depth perspective. You had 10 completions of, I want to say, 17 yards or more. And, you know, anytime Bryce averages over 10, 11 yards per attempt, that's typically a good thing for the Alabama offense. And really, it was the first time it's happened in a couple of months. You know, they haven't because of their inability to really get some consistency going with their outside guys. You know, they've been living more around eight or under eight yards per attempt. Well, they were up over 11 on Saturday and, you know, got just enough out of the run game, right? I mean, you run for 173. Uh, that keeps Auburn at least somewhat honest and makes them mix up their coverages a little bit. But, you know, Bryce, we talked about his health last week going into this game. Where was he really? Well, it looked like he was as close to the Bryce Young as we've seen, maybe other than Tennessee, since the injury against Arkansas back on October the 1st. Yeah, definitely on the money. Uh, a little bit more active as a rusher than usual as well. Ends up five for 48 on the ground with a touchdown and, and uh, yeah, I thought it was an outstanding performance for Bryce Young, for sure. A nice ovation for him uh, from the crowd in the final minute of the game. Uh, he, he went to the tunnel blowing kisses, Travis. So he definitely got the sense that uh, this was some kind of a swan song, as you noted, uh, who knows what happens in terms of a potential bowl game opt out, but certainly uh, his last game at Bryant Denny stadium and uh, a big one for sure. Spread the ball around as he typically does, uh, not – I don't think anybody had more than three or four catches for Alabama for the game, uh, but a lot of guys caught at least one. He got a lot of guys – Robbie Utes even uh, with a couple of nice grabs rumbling down the field. He's no fun to tackle. No, he's not. And, you know, if, again, they averaged more than 11 yards per attempt and over 17 yards per completion, that tells you they're likely getting it from – more than even just a couple of guys, and that was the case in the game. I thought Kendrick Law had a big third down catch when he came into the game. And I also thought perimeter blocking had has shown signs of improvement. Maybe a little late for it, uh, but Robbie Ute's part of that as well, doing a good job out there with Kendrick Law on that smoke screen and helping Ja'Cory Brooks get some easy yards after the catch. So some things we hadn't seen until really maybe week 10, 11, 12, uh, we did see here in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Robbie Utes kind of bookended it for the season. We saw a ton of Robbie Utes in the opener against Utah State, not a receiver, but but as a blocker. Uh, didn't see a whole lot of them in between, and then he pops up in the Iron Bowl with a couple of big plays. And uh, probably, I mean, that's a wild it's a guess here, but I would imagine he got as many snaps against Auburn as he got in any game other than Utah State. You know what he looks like out there? Looks like Dustin McClintock. Looks like Big Red <laughs> yeah. rumbling around out there. Yes, Doesn't he, he does. Kind of yes, looks he like does. Uh, old number 30 from about, gosh, that's been 25 years ago or so or more. Uh, Red-headed no, Texan. Yeah, that's right. It was good stuff. And we got to talk about the offensive line because I thought the protection for the most part was really good, Chase, especially when you think back to the issues they had at Auburn a year ago, just three tackles for loss for Auburn in the game. Uh, did a good job against Eric Hall and, um, you know, also uh, Wooden and, and on those interior guys as well. So uh, really need to acknowledge the performance there from those guys. They, they were money for the most part. Had a penalty here or there. I think he had a hold 
maybe on Tyler Booker and J.C. Latham later in the game. Uh, but for the most part, they were they were more than solid. Yeah, I thought the pass protection for Alabama all year long was fairly solid. I think most of the issues they had were in the in the run blocking department. Uh, certainly, there was a, a early to mid-season stretch where they were really effective uh, with the ground game. Jameer Gibbs uh, ripped off a couple of huge games in a row. Arkansas is certainly one of those. Uh, but, uh, yeah, pass protection-wise, I thought Alabama was pretty pretty solid all year. When we saw Bryce Young, to, me, to my eyeball anyway, when Bryce Young bailed the pocket most of the time this season – it wasn't because the protection broke down. It was because his receivers needed more time to get loose. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I, 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 I did not often see Bryce uh, unable to get uh, less than two reads from the pocket. That's why zone was really effective, I think, against this offense this year because they didn't have that powerful rushing attack where yards after contact could be problematic for you if you didn't sink a safety down into the box. Um, You could slow them down a lot of times with split safeties, and that also helped you, I thought, in pass coverage because of their young receivers and then Bryce missing time. It's more against zone that you need your quarterback and receivers to be on the same page because there's coverages that have to be read on both ends. And I thought Auburn – you know, showed some man coverage against this offense Saturday. And I don't think that just helped Alabama throw in the ball. I think it also helped Bryce a couple of times when they ran off coverage. He had good protection, but the running lanes were so wide open, he took advantage of them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Defensively for Alabama, as you noted, Travis, Auburn ran the ball for more than 300 yards. Nick Saban noted in his postgame press conference that it looked like Pop Warner out there with some of the stuff Auburn was running. Uh, with uh, the blocking schemes, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, you know, Hunter had a fine game. Bigsby, uh, surprisingly enough, between Hunter and, and Ashford and, and Bigsby. Bigsby had the fewest yards of the three. Ashford did some damage, had a 24-yard touchdown run. Jaheim Otis almost made uh, – well, he did make a tackle. He was just a yard late with it, I guess, uh, at the end of that play. Some really nice hustle from – Otis very nearly uh, stops Ashford from crossing the goal line, uh, but it was it was an issue all game. Auburn ran the ball effectively. Alabama, I think, knew though that as much as they could put on Robbie Ashford as a passer, they'd be better off. He did have one fantastic throw on a touchdown uh, that went to the back corner of the end zone. His best throw of the night, best throw I saw him make all season. Uh, but for the most part, uh, it. it Alabama, I think, knew he was a guy that couldn't hurt him through the air. And and uh, even though Auburn was successful on the ground, there was no balance there, really. No, and, and that, that's a good thing because there was plenty on the ground. And, you know, I, I thought it was porous, the performance against the run, especially when you consider that you've got three games of tape now where you've seen this Auburn run game do exactly what it did Saturday mm. under Cadillac Williams. I mean, Robbie Ashford in the three previous games, his high for completion in any of those games was eight. So you knew they weren't going to throw the football. Sure. But, you know, you still played some nickel. Why don't you just get in base at some point and say, you know what? If you want to beat us throwing the football, Robbie Ashford, we'd love to see you do it. And you're right. It was a hell of a throw. 
on the touchdown pass. Uh, got uh, Brian Branch a little bit on a wheel concept. Great throw. You can live with that. But to get gashed for four quarters, I thought it was kind of ironic that Nick, and he didn't mean it in a dismissive way. I think he kind of real recognizes real when it comes to they don't make them like they used to with the Pop Warner comment. But I thought Alabama against the run uh, in a couple of different ways was Pop Warner-ish on Saturday, especially, again, when you knew what was coming. You can't say, well, boy, Auburn really put in a whole different thing for us in the Iron Bowl. There, There wasn't any of that. And this isn't to totally throw Pete Golding and the defensive staff under the bus, but um, because you also have to look at the personnel. That's still an experienced team. And it Mm. wasn't always because the numbers were bad or they were out leveraged or outflanked, which they were throughout the game. I mean, Jarquez Hunter just crushed them on the perimeter. And if it weren't for, again, a couple of unforced errors by Auburn in the first half, who the hell knows what this game is like in the second half, Chase? And so, um, yeah, the players have to take some ownership because there was technique issues, tackling issues. Man, look, it was just bad. Let's be honest about it. It was bad football. Yeah, you know, uh, Hunter Hunter was a big problem on the perimeter, especially for, uh, for Alabama. And if you'd have told me before the game that Auburn would run for 300 plus and, and not cover the 21 and a half, I, I'd have been blown away. Uh, I finally, Travis finally got bit in the butt. Well, uh, I, I did too, back. but that's a, but you know what? It took, it took two unforced turnovers by Auburn and then a late touchdown uh, from Jameer Gibbs for it to happen. Well, I mean, really, I'll tell you what killed and, and barely, and, and and a lot of people had uh, Alabama laying 22. Yeah. So they got away with a push. Not everybody laid 21. For me, what really blew the cover, if we're going to talk covers really quick, what is Carnell <laughs> Williams doing kicking that ridiculous field goal at the end of the game uh, and then trying an onside kick that runs – look, if, if Auburn goes for that fourth down to try to score a touchdown instead of kick, kicking a completely meaningless field goal and they don't get the first down and Alabama takes over fairly deep in their own territory, Nick Saban runs four or five plays, game over. Yeah. Uh, but it, but instead, Carnell had to have those three extra points, and then the next thing you know, the onside kick goes the other direction, and Jameer Gibbs uh, pops the cover. Uh, pops the top on that cover, Travis, with that late touchdown. Yeah, I don't know what the cover was like, but more than once on Saturday, I thought of the 2011 Georgia Southern game, the 10-horn game. Right. Right? Um, And it was similar because Alabama added a late touchdown in that game because that was not a pretty win over a then-FCS opponent, a damn good FCS opponent in Georgia Mm. Southern and a damn good rushing offense in Georgia Southern, but – uh, as I recall, there was a late touchdown pass against Georgia Southern when Alabama was trying to climb back into the two-team deal <laughs> with the old BCS, as you might yeah. recall. So the uh, diagonal. I believe yeah. it was actually Brad Smelly that may have caught a touchdown pass. One of the tight ends late is what I recall. Yeah. And it, it put a little lipstick on that pick. <laughs> no question about it. Uh, some kind of iron bowl in the books. 87th meeting all time between Alabama and Auburn. Uh, goes into the books as a uh, 
a blowout win for the Crimson Tide. Travis, uh, real quickly on bowl possibilities for Alabama, the projections as we record here on Sunday night, most of them seem to be leaning toward Alabama drawing Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. There is uh, a, a little bit of talk that I think is kind of silly that, that Alabama still could sneak into that college football playoff. I just don't see it. I'm not saying it's completely impossible. I don't either, but I but, am enjoying the Bama boogeyman that's out and about right. among college football. <laughs> yeah. I do enjoy that. If nothing yeah. else, that's that's entertaining. I'm with you. I don't really see it. Uh, but, hell, we've been here before, you know. We'll have to kind of see. And I guess we'll know Tuesday night based on where Ohio State falls to, right? I think that's going to probably tell us as much as or more than anything next weekend does. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, former Alabama defensive lineman Sam Matthews. There he is, uh, big Sam. Saying hi and check it in. Big uh, number 95. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That's my guy right there, Sambo. But uh, yeah, I, I think I think the Sugar Bowl is probably where Alabama is headed. We'll see how things shake out down the stretch. I think I think the the sideline reporter might have put it in Saban's ear at the end of the game that there was an upset or two, and I don't even think he, he didn't even have any yeah. idea who won or lost. Uh, right. And made some mention of it when he came in uh, to the press conference. Alabama certainly could have used a Notre Dame win on Saturday night over USC. That did not happen. Uh, and there's still some chaos maybe to be had uh, on conference championship weekend, but I do think Alabama's uh, likely headed for. And for the record, I don't think Kansas State, with a potentially partial roster for Alabama, projects as a fun matchup. No. No. You know, because you know what Kansas State ain't going to have? A lot of opt-outs. Because you know what you don't see in the NFL draft every year? A lot of K-State players. Yeah, yeah. So you might as well be playing a damn service academy or something. You know, just one on the Power Five level. Bunch of twenty-three-year-olds running around out yeah. there, redshirt red yeah. seniors, and yeah, trying yeah. to trying to come up with some tales for the taverns in the coming years. You know, when they're. I wonder if they still. I know Bill Snyder's gone now. I wonder if Kansas still State still gets all you know. the mileage out of that walk-on program. Who knows? You remember the uh, you remember the 2023 Sugar Bowl? I had 10 tackles against Alabama in that. <laughs> That'll be a tavern story within two years for some yep. 5'10", 225-pound Mike. No question. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. All right. Uh, <laughs> Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. Rolling along. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors now. I'm going to start with North River Dental Associates tell you all about them. Dr. Jack Smalley, former Alabama linebacker, and his great bunch of dental hygienists do a super job, super location as well. 1100 Fairfax Park, right off of Watermelon Road. They do all kinds of dental work. Uh, pediatric dentistry, the cosmetic dentist, porcelain veneers, laser dentistry, endodontics, dentures, and the always popular teeth whitening services. Also can do Botox or Juvederm treatments to tighten up those facial features and on a routine cleaning they're generally going to have you in and out the door in less than an hour super job over there at north river dental always and a quality quality job uh, on those routine cleanings get in there twice a year like you should uh, and see dr jack he will take care of you and your family uh, when it comes to dental care the phone number 752-3506 or you can make an appointment online at north river dentist 
Com. It is North River Dental Associates. Going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section in T of Tuscaloosa. We are in full holiday season mode there at Peterbrook Chocolatier in Tuscaloosa. So get by and take care of all your holiday treats, all your holiday gifts, all your holiday needs at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Still not too late to get those Christmas orders in. You got those stocking items that you need. Give them a call, 205-752-0211. That's going to put you in touch with Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. All right, finally going to tell you a little bit about DraftKings. That would be our corporate sponsor. Hey, DraftKings, the NFL action is hot. A couple of big wins here on this Sunday. You can get in on the action. All you got to do is download that DraftKings Sportsbook app now. You do it. You use the promo code TPPN. Get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game only at the DraftKings Sportsbook using promo code TPPN. And of course, in addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. So get it done. Download that DraftKings Sportsbook app now with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. There you have that, Travis. And uh, with that, and we normally jump into other SEC games at this juncture of the podcast, and we're going to do that. But first, uh, a look at Alabama's big win, Travis, Sunday, a consolation game in the Phil Knight Invitational in Portland, Oregon. The Crimson Tide goes four overtimes with the number one team in the country, North Carolina. They get it done 103-101, the final score. Uh, a couple of highlights quickly. Mark Sears, uh, transfer from the University of Ohio, Team high, 24 points, hit 7 of 11 from three-point range. He was huge for Alabama. Uh, Charles Bediaco, the big man, also big. 14 points, 16 rebounds, and a really crucial block in that final overtime that was uh, it was somewhat controversial, I guess, because it was initially ruled a goaltend, but it was not a goaltend. And uh, fortunately, the officials got it right. And uh, it was wild even from there with a couple of turnovers back and forth, Travis. But Alabama gets the job done uh, and comes up with uh, two big wins in that invitational, one over Michigan State and an even bigger W over UNC. Yeah, you go two and one from Michigan State, UConn, and North Carolina, you're going to feel pretty good about the trip. And so I thought Betty Ako in the North Carolina game was the MVP. Just uh, to play 44 minutes, especially after Noah Clowney went out early with the injury, uh, really battle Baco, maybe the best big in college basketball. I guess Drew Timmy coming up for Gonzaga. You can make that case for him as well. Um, it was it was a gritty effort, man. That impressed me the most about this. And, you know, you did get 21 for Quinterly. The bench was big for Alabama in the game. Uh, Noah Gurley, I thought, did some really important things. I like the confidence that you're seeing from him as an older player. Jaden Bradley as a freshman certainly doesn't seem like it's too big for him. Had a couple of inbound passes there uh, in overtimes that um, were tough, but uh, they they battled through it all, you know, and, and when it looked like they were in pretty bad shape there, 
uh, maybe in the second overtime or so, they were able to get it to a third and, you know, they'll, they'll improve in terms of in game situations. They're going to have to. Um, but what was interesting about this game to me too, Chase, was that because it was against an opponent like North Carolina and you were in multiple overtimes, you got a pretty good idea of who the guys are right now, right? As far as seven, eight, nine guys on this team that Nate Oates will turn to right now. And that's understanding Clowney was out, but, you know, Sears plays 55 minutes. Now, Quinterly just cleared plays 44 minutes. Um, Gurley plays 42 minutes. Um, Brandon Miller wasn't his best night for sure, but he still plays 48 minutes. So you look at the minutes and the distribution of that in this game and you get a, maybe a little more of a clear idea right now, anyway, who those seven, eight, nine guys might be. Yeah. Remarkable that Alabama was able to get this win on what was definitely an off night for Brandon Miller. He was four out of 21 from the field. Uh, credit certainly Travis uh, to the defensive effort by North Carolina to kind of contain Miller. Uh, I guess it was Malik Black that drew Miller uh, defensively a fair bit anyway, and I, and I thought did a really nice job mm -hmm. on him. Uh, Quinterly ended up 8 out of 26 from the field, took a lot of shots. Uh, it, it, to, for my money, Quinterly kind of dribbled the air out of it in overtime. Would have liked to see him um, distribute a little bit more th throughout all of the overtimes. Um, but uh, overall, uh, just a phenomenal effort by this Alabama basketball team. And, uh, you know, the block by Betty Aco was, was certainly huge. I thought, and, and, you know, the inbounds pass you mentioned from Bradley, uh, the play was to go to Miller because Miller was right there in front of Bradley. And for whatever reason, Miller's defender wasn't, wasn't playing between, Bradley and Miller he was playing behind Miller so the inbounds pass was easy to Miller and I guess Bradley just didn't see him even though he was pretty close by I tried to get it to Sears it gets popped out of bounds for a turnover uh and then of course North Carolina turned around and turned it right back over uh to pretty much seal the win for Alabama but uh a super effort for sure I also thought it was interesting you know you mentioned you know down the stretch we got to look at at the 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 guys Nate Oates is going to count on the most to me he kind of narrowed it down to five or six really for most of the overtimes really not a lot of substituting we did see Bradley as we just mentioned uh sub in a little bit for Quinterly I guess uh during the overtime periods but for the most part uh Oates stuck with five with Gurley on the floor with Betty Ako uh with Miller uh, who, of course, played a lot of time with four fouls, managed not to foul out somehow, even though he picked up his fourth, I think, with 16 or 17 minutes left in the second half, uh, if I'm not mistaken. If there's anybody on the bench who I was surprised didn't see more action in a 60-minute game, uh, Namari Burnett and Ryland Griffin, uh, those two guys kind of got forgotten in the substitution pattern as this game came down the stretch, that surprised me a little bit because North Carolina doesn't have uh, the bench that Alabama does. And, and I thought uh, Oates might uh, turn to more players to just kind of wear them down a little bit, but he, he rolled with, with five or six uh, pretty much down the stretch. Yeah. I think defensively has something to do with that too. You know, some of the matchups that North Carolina can give you with, 
Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Um, those are some really, really good guards. And I know a couple of times Namari was kind of in recovery mode uh, against those kind of guys. So that may have had something to do with it. Namari ended up with four fouls too. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, I think, you know, we had talked about and, you know, there had been some some talk about, you know, well, with Quinterly coming back and now you've got Sears and you've got Bradley and you've got Quinterly, how are they going to go about that? And, well, the answer is they're going to play a couple of them together a good mm-hmm. bit. You know, you're going to see Sears and Quinterly on the four together or Bradley and Quinterly or some mix of the two, maybe all three at times. You know, Nate doesn't have a problem with that. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the – the, the answer to that question, I do think, though, at some point, Chase, there has to be that guy that you can count on to run the team mm-hmm. or that you trust the most with the basketball in big spots. It's not in late November. I get that. But when you get into February and March, it'll be interesting to see how that situation evolves. And they like to hand the basketball to Miller a lot, too, or have Miller just bring it up and mm-hmm. go ISO. So uh, that's what I'll be interested to see, too. All right, back to football as we close out the program here, Travis. A look around uh, a couple of big games on Rivalry Weekend. Let's go back to Thanksgiving night. Mississippi State getting it done against Ole Miss, 24-22. to uh, In the wake of that, of course, Lane Kiffin sticking around at Ole Miss, going to make more money. Uh, but uh, Mississippi State, you know, for all the hype that Ole Miss got over the first two months of the season or so, uh, led the West at one point, looked like they had a pretty darn good shot at winning the West at one point. Well, they end up with the exact same record and the exact same SEC record as those Bulldogs from Starkville and a head-to-head loss to, to Mike Leach. Really a sour finish for Ole Miss on the year. Yeah, no doubt. And just a tumultuous few weeks to end the season with Lane Kiffin's situation and being linked to that Auburn job. And it really just boiled over early in the week when you had the report from the news station in Mississippi that after the game Thursday night, Lane would be stepping down to take the Auburn job. Lane takes to Twitter, confronts the report. Yeah. Uh, and then still talking about it in his post-game comments after the game Thursday night. So, um, yeah, just a, in some ways, a, I think a, a great week for Ole Miss because at the end of the day, you kept your coach, but uh, it may have come at the sacrifice of, of handing the uh, the golden egg back over to uh, the rivals from Starkville. First Egg Bowl win for Mike Leach. He was 0-2 in the Egg Bowl uh, going into the game. He gets the W uh, by a narrow margin, but uh, but got it done. Texas A&M, Travis, upends LSU, <laughs> knocks the Tigers out of any CFP hope. Uh, this will be the first time that a three-loss team has gone to the SEC championship game since Florida did it in 2016. And, of course, they took a shellacking from Alabama Fifty-four to sixteen in that one. I don't know that Georgia's got fifty-four points in them, but I do not expect much of a fight uh, in the SEC title game. Yeah, and the problem for LSU is it's not like Georgia wasn't already motivated. I know you could look at it and say, "Well, Georgia doesn't have to win the game; they're in the college football playoff." Georgia wants to win a Southeastern Conference Championship again. 
You know, I guess it's been what 2017 the last time for Georgia. Yeah. Was that the year Auburn went from the West? Georgia beats Auburn. Alabama makes the CFP um, ultimately, and uh, and uh, you end up with with Alabama beating Georgia back in Atlanta for the national championship. So I don't think uh, I don't think LSU catches a break with Georgia playing in its backyard. Although Georgia hasn't been especially good, I guess in SEC championship games in Atlanta, and certainly Alabama's had a lot to do with that. What about those Aggie fans rushing the field for a five-win squad? I mean, we've, we've, we've reached a new low, a new low when it comes to fields. Yeah, going, have we not? It, it's, it's all for the gram. That's why yeah. these people do it. They do it all for the social media. And Look, you know, I'm not going to pick on A&M and its fan base and the Yell crew and all that. You know, whatever, hey, whatever you think of A&M, their people are committed to the bit. They, they stay with it through thick and thin. It, it may be weird to some people or whatever, but those folks, man, they, they stay in lockstep for the most part. It's an avid fan base for sure. Speaking of avid fan bases, they've got one over in Columbia, South Carolina <laughs> as well. And uh, the Gamecocks, oh. Travis, uh, take down Clemson 31-30, to 30, snaps a 40-game home win streak by Clemson. That was the long, had been the longest active home win streak in the nation. Uh, phenomenal finish for South Carolina and Spencer Rattler. He ends up throwing for over 300 yards on those Tigers. Uh, another big special teams play by South Carolina as well, jumping on a muffed punt toward the end of the game that kind of sealed, ball. sealed yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, what about those What about those Gamecocks back-to-back over Tennessee and Clemson? Yeah, we talk about – coaching contracts and extensions. I got to think one's coming for Shane Beamer, you think? Um, yeah, eight and four, beat Clemson on the road, the win over Tennessee. You know, just as we expected a couple of weeks ago after this team was beaten 38 to six in yeah. Gainesville. We all saw this coming, Chase. <laughs> yeah. My way. It uh, is a phenomenal finish for uh, Spencer Rattler in South Carolina, for sure. I, I think uh, – and, and you talk about shaking up the CFP. Clemson had a shot of sneaking in there if they just take care of business. Uh, so, South Car- not, not like Tennessee had. Tennessee uh, was in great shape before that South Carolina loss. Clemson yeah. needed some help still. But they were in, the, they were in it anyway uh, in the discussion and uh, – uh, it's, uh, it's unreal the way South Carolina was able to knock off two CFP contenders back to back, uh, to close out the regular season. Uh, congratulations. And Spencer Rattler, you don't even need to play in the bowl game, dude. Just, <laughs> Just go yeah. out, bro. Cause nothing else can happen for Spencer Rattler. That'll be close to as good as what we've seen the last two weeks. Yeah. And that was with two interceptions Saturday against Clemson that were just like, what the heck was that? But Bad he was one. able to overcome them. And I think, because he did, as we talked about last week, all it takes is one, James. That's, that's Spencer Rattler should not team. play another down of college football. You think not he ought to be done right there? Done. Yeah, yeah Luke fine. Doty, here you go. Play the bowl game. <laughs> Enjoy it. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. want to thank our listeners and viewers. Travis and I will be uh, back again a little bit later this month as we kind of turn our attention 
uh, to basketball a little bit more, although uh, we'll, of course, be talking about Alabama's bold destination when that becomes official as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread, the sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News. We'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.